Hello and welcome to the Stories About Autism podcast. My name is James and I'm your host and I'm a dad of two boys, Tommy and Jude, who are both autistic. Each week on the podcast, I get to speak to a special guest who shares their own story about autism. I speak with autistic adults, parents of children who are autistic and professionals who work with the autism community too. There will also be some episodes where I talk a little bit more about me and my boys, share our own experiences and answer some of your questions. So make sure to look out for those. This week, I'm joined by Nicola, a mum of three girls, the youngest of who, Hallie, is autistic. Nicola has been sharing insights into Hallie and her family's lives for a little over 18 months on Instagram and TikTok on her page, Happy Hands with Hallie. And thanks to some beautiful, informative, viral videos, already has over 120,000 followers, which is exactly how I came to follow them too. I was really excited to talk to Nicola for a number of reasons. Firstly, I knew she'd be able to provide some great insight into how autism is viewed differently by many when it comes to boys and girls. With Hallie still so young and only recently diagnosed, she's really well placed to talk about the diagnosis experience, both practically and emotionally. We talk about some of the early signs that made a push for a diagnosis and some of the sensory challenges Hallie has, what sleep is like in their house and Hallie's relationship with her sisters. We also talk about the EHCP process they're currently in the middle of and they're waiting to find out what school provision will be made available for Hallie. Having met Nicola earlier this year and been captivated by the videos she shares, it was great to get to know more about her and her family's story. I think this will be a really interesting episode for anyone at the early stages of their autism journey and anyone who wants to know more about autism and girls. Let's get into it. Here's my chat with Nicola. I really hope you enjoy it. Okay, Nicola, hello. Thank hello. you for joining me. Um, so Nicola, uh, you may recognize from the Instagram and TikTok accounts, Happy Hands with Hallie. That's why she's here today to talk about uh, Hallie and the rest of her family. Uh, hello, thanks for joining us. Hi, <laughs> thanks so for having me. We actually got to meet about a month ago at the the BAPS Awards. Nicola was a nominee, a very well-deserved nominee for the BAPS Awards. So it's strange, isn't it, getting to meet people in, in real life who you chat to online uh, and then you have this, this one date of the year where you actually come together. Yeah, it is, it's really strange. And actually, I followed... I thought I followed you for a long time, even before I had Hallie or had any involvement oh, really? really with my own children and yeah. autism, because I have worked with autistic children. Ah. Um, so I followed you for like absolutely years and years and years. So it is really strange when you actually meet somebody <laughs> in, in person. Yeah, perfect. So tell, tell everyone, um, for those who don't follow you already, uh, tell everyone a little bit about you. Uh, you and your family, where you live in the UK. Uh, yeah, tell us about you. Yeah, um, so I am from Nottinghamshire and I have got um, three daughters. Um, one is 15, one is seven and one is three. I went, began on the autism journey when Hallie was a baby and it was quite a hard process in getting the diagnosis and the whole the whole journey so I decided that I needed some I needed to find a community really so I joined Instagram and yeah definitely definitely found that so um yeah it's 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 been really good to meet people and and get support because everyone's amazing 
Yeah. So you, you said that that journey started when you you first had suspicions when Hallie was a baby. So how how old was she when you first thought that she was developing a little bit differently? So I had just this feeling when she was first born. Um, mm. It was just a, it was just a feeling, and it was there was nothing really to go off on it, and it just I I just instantly got rid of it because it was like I don't know why I've just thought that you know when you have like an intrusive thought and it's like yeah I don't really know why I've yeah. thought about that, um so I just kind of brushed that off and and that was that, then at about six weeks six twelve weeks old I think it was around the kind of time when they go for their twelve week you know when they go and see the GP for you know a checkup because I remember mentioning it at that appointment. And she had a bit of a shake in her hands. And I knew that it was neurological. I could tell it was neurological. And when I would pick her up, her whole body would like tighten. And I used to think to, in that moment, I think she's going to have a seizure. But then she'd like move again. And I'd think, mm. yeah, she's okay. And it used to like make my heart stop when she used to do it. So from that point, I was like, hmm, not sure what's going on here. So I mentioned it at that appointment. And they just said to me that because she was premature, she was four weeks early. They said that's, you know, quite common in premature babies. It maybe just is a tremor of some sort and it will disappear with time. Um, and then that was that was that again off on my way I went. And then it was around it was around 10 months that I felt like, yeah, there's 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 100. I was 100 percent sure then at 10 months old that there was definitely something, there was definitely more to this um, and I wasn't going to let it. It was that moment where I knew I'm not going to let this, you know, I'm not going to walk out an appointment now and let them tell me that everything's okay because I know that it's not. Yeah. I've, I think, and, and you explain this really well on on some of your, your videos that I've seen you do, uh, sort of one of the reasons that I wanted to chat with you is because that, you know, there's such an age difference between between my boys and, and and Hallie, so you're going through these stages a lot more recently than than I I was or am. And I've watched your videos and, and seen a, a lot of reminders of oh yeah, I remember you know like like Jude did that or Tommy did that. So if if you think back to sort of ten to twelve months, what what were some of the signs that that Hallie, uh, I guess, traits that she was displaying or, or things that she was doing that, that you know, s s sort of put you on this pathway? Yeah, so she was, one of the first, first things for me was she was extremely hard to wean. So mm -hmm. she wouldn't accept um, food at all. It would just be kind of spat out of her mouth. Right. When I came to try and introduce text, any kind of texture, that was a complete no-go. It wasn't happening. So Hallie stayed on puree food for a long time because she wouldn't ever accept a texture. She also used to, if I gave her any of the like, you know, like handheld food items, like, a, you know, a breadstick or something like that, um, she would always choke all the time. Mm. So um, I remember her dad, when she was being fed, he'd be gone. He's like, I'm not staying in the room. I'm going because he used to be absolutely terrified every time I fed her because she used to choke all the time. Um, so that was one thing that was I knew wasn't, you know, with my other children. They did have some feeding issues, but it wasn't on this level. Yeah. Um, and then another thing is that she didn't engage at all. Um, she was pretty much at, at, at that point. 
Um, I would say I really noticed the lack of engagement at about one. That was when I really noticed that she was, you know, not answering to her name. She was, you know, she wouldn't really, she wouldn't really play with toys in a typical way. She would just spin things, anything that she found, she would just spin. She didn't like any electronic toys, anything that made a noise or moved um, uh -huh. apart from her spinners, because I guess they're in her control, aren't they? Whereas yeah. with a toy that, you know, starts, you know, makes a noise, it was, she was absolutely terrified. Mm. Um, extremely sensory to things, lights and sounds, she'd get really upset. And then she started stimming from, oh, from about, as she, she was delayed in all of her milestones. She didn't sit up until she was 18 months old. Right. But what I used to do was at about 10 months, I used to kind of prop her in the corner of the um, sofa. So she had the support from both sides and she used to continuously kick her legs. And she would tighten her whole body up, you know, the her whole face would tighten up. And she would do that all day, all day. If I let her, she would sit there all day and do that um, with the TV on. And that's she, that's what she was happy doing. She didn't really need or, you know, need anything else. Um, she was really quite content as well, actually. If she had what she needed, which was sensory TV on, she was really happy and just, you know, quite an easy baby. That all changed <laughs> um but as a baby she was yeah dead chilled out um so yeah i'm trying to think of anything else really that i noticed oh there was obviously the lack of development in terms of she wasn't pointing she wasn't obviously speaking she wasn't hitting any of those milestones that she should hit and at one years old when the health visitor came round to do her questionnaire it was a complete complete fail on all on, mm. on all questions. She couldn't do any of the things that a one year old should be should be doing. She wouldn't follow a point. Um, yeah, she obviously still wasn't sitting up. So yeah, it was just huge delays, really. Yeah, yeah. I I remember just those those periods of time where you you imagined like. Okay, and I guess for you, you already had children, so <clears throat> you'd been through the process of, of what your child could or, or, or should be doing by that stage, and and yeah, it's, it's strange. I remember Jude being—he was content with TV and music and things like that, and and like you said, just could be doing it for hours. And but it, it was all the other things. It was the not interested in toys, not interested in all the things that you imagine. Uh, another child would be so i'm guessing you mentioned you had been working with autistic children uh already so were you thinking or like was that jumping out to you in your mind uh that she might be autistic from your own experiences in the in the initial in the initial first stages it was just a gut feeling because i actually knew very little about early signs of autism yeah i knew what autism might look like in an older child of right. seven plus yeah but in younger children i really didn't have much of a clue really my sister's boy is autistic he's now 15 and she would make comments to me and say you know she's probably autistic 
Um, mm. So obviously she, you know, would say things to me that then obviously, and my gut instinct was there. And then I started looking on YouTube and, and things like that. And as soon as I looked on YouTube, I was like, yeah, I think this is, mm. I think this is, this, this is what it is. But there was always part of me as well that thought maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not. Maybe yeah. she'll just, you know, it'll, you still snap out of this and she'll just, you know, everything call, will come because that's what people would say to me. That's what mm. everyone said to me. The health visitors, my friends, people would say that, you know, they all catch up and, you know, they do things in their own time and all kids are different. And, you know, all these kind of comments were said to me all the time. So it made me doubt myself a lot. And yeah, it was, it was, it's a hard place to be when your gut instinct is telling you one thing, but everything else on the exterior is, is going against what your, your instinct is. Yeah. And I think that's a very common experience for, especially for mums, uh, you, you know, Jude and Tommy's mum had to convince me uh, that Jude was autistic. Not that she really knew lots about autism, but she could see it wasn't developing as quickly as, as, you know, the other kids around her in baby groups and stuff like that, or friends, children. And we'd go to see the doctor and the doctor would say, you know, no, he's a boy or catch up. He's born prematurely uh, yeah. like Hallie was. Um, and I, you know i took away yeah the doctor's right of course the doctor's right uh you know it'll all be fine i think we'll you know he'll catch up that we'll just give it a few months and and <clears throat> so she had to convince me for a, a while um before we got any further and it is i can imagine it is very draining when people it's People try to be nice and say, oh, I think it'll be fine. You know, they'll catch up, but it must be very draining just hearing that. And because you, like you said, you doubt yourself, you doubt what, what you're seeing. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think like you say there, people are always trying to be nice. And it's not that anybody wants to intentionally hurt someone's feelings. Because I remember when people have said it to me, like, I've had comments about, you know, with speech and things like this, like, oh, you know, well, my boy didn't speak until he was four. And, you know, now, you know, now he's, 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 he's absolutely fine. And while it's nice to hear those experiences in that moment, it just, you don't know that. Like I, I obviously, yeah. Hallie has obviously developed some speech now. Yes, she's still delayed. But in that moment, like I never knew, I, I, mm. I was, I really thought, you know, this is never going to happen. And yeah, that person, as much as they've got lovely intentions and trying to reassure, um, was trying to reassure me, it kind of, you know, it's a bit of a, it, it kind of hurts in the moment. Mm, definitely. So what, what's the process then? Uh, it's been a long time since Jude was diagnosed um, and things have definitely changed and i know areas area to area can be different as well so like you said around 10 to 12 months you're, you're becoming quite clear in your own mind that that you know that there's there's something that needs to be looked at what what's the process where for parents who you know might be in that same position what what's the first steps well what did you do how did you start moving towards a diagnosis so it was at the 12 month 
health visitor appointment that I expressed my concerns and obviously she expressed her concerns mm -hmm. and her lack of um, development, so her delays. So it was kind of a conversation that we had together that was the first point. Up until that point when she had that one year review, I don't think I felt confident to actually approach anybody um, about it. So I just waited until somebody, you know, somebody came and, and, and came to see her really. So I thought that one year old um, appointment was, a you know, maybe a good place to start. So, yeah, so she came and she she said, yeah, there's definitely some, you know, there's some delays here. It was quite concerned because she wasn't sitting up. She was in physio, so she was being looked after in terms of her um, gross motor. But obviously, the, the, the delays were across the board. So yeah. she then referred us through um, to like a, I think it's like a children's service. So it's a place where mums can go to get support um, with parenting and things like that. So I went along to that to, to that to that place and um, the the lady she had a we had like a little one to one appointment with her and Halle and she said to me straight after that that you know this isn't the right place for you to you know this is not what you need you need to you need to be referred through to pediatrics. Um, so she then got in touch with the health visiting team again and said she needs a referral. Um, they rejected the referral um, because of Hallie's age and, you know, she needed a bit more time. But then this lady, bless her, um, got back onto these health visitors and she said, no, I'm sorry, this, this little girl needs to be seen and we're not, you know, you need to do it. So at that time, I really felt that I couldn't speak up i didn't feel mm -hmm. confident enough at that point i was yeah um, and she did that for me which i'll be forever grateful for because she got hallie the referral through to the pediatrics um team which did come through quite quickly um i know a lot of people go on a long waiting list for that um but in our area it works a little bit different that we have a, a we have a process where you get seen by a service called NBS, um, and I can't remember what it stands for. Um, neurodiversity <laughs> something, anyway. There's so many um, acronyms but... in being a parent of our children, isn't it? There's, there's so many acronyms. <laughs> like, yeah. What does that mean? I, I don't can't know. remember that one. But <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so they they basically um, look after parents while they're on the pathway. Really, they offer like support, like some kind of groups and training and things like that. Um, but it, that's a two-year pathway that you're on that for. Right, but luckily, okay. because Hallie was so young, she skipped that whole process and got straight through to the pediatric, um, to the pediatrician. Sorry. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so she was seen pretty quick. But uh, like I say, I know in some areas there's this whole process that comes before that, um, and this is where parents end up having a long time to wait. Um, so yeah, so we got, like I say, we got seen pretty quick. It was the process after that that then took the long time because she was seen in that clinic and the pediatrician, you know, she agreed there was, you know, there were signs of autism there. However, you know, she categorically said to me, she's too young. We can't diagnose her. She's too young at this point because she was about 18 months old at the time, I think, when she had that appointment and they wanted to give her more time. So I was like, that's fair enough. 
Um, I didn't have a great experience with the paediatrician. Um, I felt like everything I said to her, she would come back at me with something else um, to say, no, that's, you know, that's normal. This is all children. So I had a difficult experience with that. Um, but yeah, we obviously got there in the end. It just took from one and a half to what, just over three. 18 months, two years from someone saying she probably is autistic to actually getting a, a diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. And it's so frustrating because I, I hear yeah. that all the time of people saying a professional has said they're too young. Now, Jude was diagnosed when he was about 20 months and they agreed it was very young. They said, I think at the time he, they made it like he was like the second youngest child that diagnosed in Essex or something, you know, some crazy stat. And we didn't really know that. Mm. Uh, he was too, you know, potentially too young to be diagnosed or we were just following the steps that, that went through. But he, you know, he got his diagnosis. So it's it's frustrating now when you hear so many families, even at like two, three, and they're saying, no, they're too young, come back in, you know, 18 months. It's crazy because it's so, such a long wait and such a, you're kind of in limbo, aren't you, for that time? It's so difficult and I've definitely got one of those personalities that I struggle to not have an answer. Hmm. I need to even know yes or no. I, I find that really quite difficult. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was hard. I couldn't, I, at the end of it, I was, you know, it was hard because even when you get the diagnosis, processing that information, even when you knew it anyway, it comes with a whole load of new emotions but I was so relieved to just have that part out of the way because it was just, it was, it, it was draining. And mm. Hallie's paediatrician, because at about, um, about two and a half, between the age of like one and two and a half, Hallie was, you know, she, I would say she was, you know, she had the classical signs of autism. When she hit two and a half, she began then to start engaging again and, you know, giving some eye contact and engaging in play and things. So once the paediatrician had seen that, that didn't then go in our favour because mm. it was like, well, you know, she's quite sociable. She gives eye contact. Yeah. And Hallie is very, when Hallie is comfortable with somebody and she knows them very well, she will give them eye contact. She will play with them and engage with them. But if she's in a new environment or some, you know, when we're out and about on, you know, walking down the street and someone speaks to her, she's, you know, she turns away, you know, she's not speaking to anybody. Um, but because obviously she does sometimes socialize and that was documented, it, you know, it didn't go in our favor because then she made us wait another year. It's crazy. And it, <sighs> It's just, uh, just just so frustrating because I hear it all the time and especially uh, with girls as well, uh, you know, people saying they can't be autistic because you, you know, it, it, it must be really difficult. So tell me, tell me more about Hallie. I mean, she's clearly from what I see of her online, a huge personality. Uh, she definitely has yeah. you on, on your, on your toes, <laughs> keeps you busy. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> tell, tell everyone a bit more about Hallie. Tell, um, 
so you mentioned uh there's been some improvement in speech which, which i've noticed which is fantastic in the time that i've been following you so to talk a little about that and and how our communication has improved yeah so hallie didn't have any words until she was two and a half mm. and at between the ages of two and a half and three it was just single words that she would say um and then she might not say them again for ages so it was it was you know just little bits now and again she would say numbers that was something she would always say so she could count she could label things so like colors she was right. really good at but her actual speech until after three um three and a half um no about three sorry yeah um there wasn't really any um you know back and forth kind of there was none of that going on but um yeah so she had she she was we was quite lucky even though she didn't have a diagnosis we did get early intervention in form of speech therapy so hallie was under speech therapy from just before she turned two um and so that was really helpful because although Hallie wouldn't engage with a speech therapist, they would walk into my house. And as soon as they did, Hallie would just scream and throw things at me or them or the TV or whatever until that person left. Um, but what they ended up doing was they came around when Hallie was at nursery and they would teach me. So I right. learned so much from those speech therapists that then I applied with Hallie. And I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to implement those strategies and things that they had taught me um, with Hallie. And we learned like Makaton, Makaton she loved, um, singing. So Hallie learns a lot by singing. That was the that was one of the the keys for Hallie was anything with a tone or a little tune she would do. So if it was, you know, put your shoes on you know, we sing, put your shoes on instead. So we rarely spoke in actual speech. It was all singing all the time. Mm. And that seemed to really help Hallie to learn how to speak. Um, it's funny because she would say things, she, the, the things that she picked up from different people, she would speak in the way that they'd said them. Um, so we'd know if she'd learned something from me or if she'd learned something from dad or her sister, yeah. because it would sound, you know, it would sound as them. Um, but yeah, she's come, she's come a long way from having, you know, from two and a half and, you know, having no speech at all to now at nearly four, she is now. And yeah, she's, she's, at, you can have a conversation with her now. You can't, she can't tell you things like how her day's been or yeah. it's still very basic. Um, but it's still amazing. It's still mm. amazing from, you know, from where we were, um, you know, so I've, I just feel incredibly, you know, incredibly thankful that we had that help really, because without it, you know, I don't, I don't obviously know where we'd be now. So. Yeah. Like I said, I, I've noticed in, you know, the last year or so of, of following you and seeing the, you know, the real progression, especially recently, it, it seems like she's, you know, re really talking a lot more with you, like you said, in the conversation wise. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And she's so the thing is, it's really funny, because when she, before she learned, um, before she learned to speak, like I say, she was quite a content, happy, you know, didn't need for much. And now it is the complete opposite. Like, does she does she voice what she needs? She really, <laughs> really does like, 
if she's not doing something, it is a category mm. she will scream no at me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw one the other day that I put on with the chicken nuggets. She yes. um, she yeah. just kept going, nuggets! Like, isn't it? Until <laughs> I gave her chicken nuggets, she wasn't going to stop screaming that at me. Um, she's She has got a very um, demanding and persistent personality that I am never going to win at. Um, it is very difficult. Um, me and her dad was looking at the EHCP the other day and there was a question on there, like, how do you meet Hallie's needs at home? And I said, should I just write? We just, we just follow exactly just what she tells it. us to do. <laughs> and then it's all fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she's, she's, um, she's a character, that's for sure. But um, yeah, speech is, her speech, as she's developed that speech, she's definitely learned how to, you know, demand. With yeah. It. <laughs> Chicken nuggets are obviously a huge, uh, huge favorite in, in many households uh, in, in our little community. Yeah. You, you said uh, earlier <laughs> about her having problems with food and, and textures and stuff. It as the food side, I mean, she's eating chicken nuggets, which is clearly you know uh, a lot better than than you know a, a couple of years ago. So, it, is it still quite a sensory thing with food with her? So Hallie's actually probably done a whole 360 on food, really. I think the um, the sensory side of things was we found out um, was actually to do with the chewing. Um, mm. So she wasn't able to chew very well, which meant she was choking a lot. She doesn't know how much food to put in her mouth. And right. she often bites her lips and things like that because she's not feeling things the same as other people. So once we had some support from um we got some support from ot for that um and speech therapy helped a little bit as well once we had a bit of support with that and she got you know she she still has moments she still bites herself and things like that and overstuffs but she's much better than she was and she now eats she's very much a sensory seeker with food so she likes spices she likes different textures she eats all day like constant like I can't stop her from eating. She wants, <laughs> she sits there on the sofa and she will demand a picky plate all day. So picky plate, picky plate. And I have to just fill it up with different textures and different foods because mm. she just wants to sit there and eat. So yeah, she's completely opposite now um, to what she was in the, you know, in that, in that first couple of years. And and you think a lot of that's come from the, the OT. Is there anything in particular that, that they did that, that helped her? become more used to these sorts of foods and so it was really just obviously obviously supervising when eating and things like that obviously modeling as well to her that we, we did mm. quite a lot of that different things like chew buddies and you know all the different because there's there's different ones that we had with different textures um so that was quite helpful as well um and then we did things like using like she won't always have them, but we, we had a stage where she would like ice poles and things like that to help with the sensory seeking, but it's not obviously, you know, as much food yeah. as well. So yeah, they gave us a few tips. It wasn't a lot just because we had to pay for a private report for that because obviously you don't get um, any sensory OT on the NHS. I think that's the same across the whole country, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, think... I don't know if some people might qualify, but I know in mm. my area it's a it's a massive um it's a massive no. Yeah, it's. I think we have had some sensory support over the years, but a long time ago when when things were a little bit easier, 
shall we say about accessing support and and having yeah different it's one thing that really need in my opinion <clears throat> it's one thing that is 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 really needed um is is sensory support and i don't know if i see that more because a lot of hallie's needs are sensory based but like at the moment i haven't been able to bath hallie for about a month um, I cannot get I cannot get her in the bath. Um, so at the minute we're just sponge washing, you know, using sprays on her hair and just trying to, you know, wet her hair and give it a little, you know, wet wash kind of thing. Um, and I would, you know, it would be so beneficial to have some support from an OT if it was available on the NHS. But yeah, I rang and they said, sorry, no. And before that point, she was happily bathing, happily, or has it always been a struggle? And just got harder she she tends to go through stages so mm. she'll be very much sensory seeking love water splashing absolutely fine in the water and then she will do the exact opposite and be scared of the water um this mainly started because she felt a piece of hair brush onto her um onto her arm and oh. she obviously overreacted thinking it was more than what it was yeah and then she obviously you know so scared tensed up tried to get out the bath and yeah we've not been able to get back in since so um i'm just working on some strategies at the minute with her in terms of trying to get her to wash her hands in a bowl wash some toys and things like that which it's not going great at the minute but you know just trying yeah it's so hard when like you said that they can just go through phases and, and and things change and i guess in a way it's it's good that you even know what it might have been because you could easily have missed that the hair going on her arm and the way she reacted and you know so at least you've got an idea of of what triggered it but it doesn't make it any yeah. easier to to work through um now obviously your account is called happy hands with hallie i'm guessing it's because she has very happy hands. I've seen a lot of videos of her happily flapping and stimming <laughs> and, and, you know, getting lots of stimulation from, from her hand movements. So do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Is, is that something that she's always enjoyed? Yeah. So hands are, you know, from a very, from, from a few months old, <clears throat> Hallie would do things like she would just put her hands in front of her face and just watch them, which is typical for babies when they find their hands, you know, they watch them and they explore that. But Hallie would do that all the time. She was mm. absolutely obsessed with her hands. And as she got older, that just got more and more and more. So then it would turn into holding very, you know, very small objects. Um, like she'd have like, you know, little teavers or whatever, and she'd just hold them up and follow them and, and things like that. And then, it was when she it was when she stood up really that the flapping started as soon as she got on her feet and stopped the legs um because she would continuously kick the legs back and mm. forth like this um that's when the hands started um but it's even in the wrists like she's always you know and she's she's always been like it yeah um and I originally thought that she might have something called um complex it's called complex motor stereotypes and still looking at the information now i still would be quite confident that she has that that as well um because you can get complex motor stereotypes with and without autism um but um 
yeah, she definitely has a lot of movement all the time. So that's constant. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's lovely in the video. You can see how happy she is and, and when she's getting even happier, her hands go even more. And I know that from, from my boys that <laughs> flapping is, is a big part of their life too. Uh, are there any sensory activities that really work for Hallie that, that she really enjoys or that really help her regulate? So she loves drawing. That's something that she's really started to mm -hmm. engage a lot in. So she will just, you know, she'll have one hand doing some, it's not really, you know, just scribbling, but she'll have one hand just scribbling and the other hand will be going. So it's right. just such a sensory activity for her. And I think it's more predictable than a lot of things. So Hallie can be, it's again, it's everything with Hallie is a love-hate thing. So whereas she's liked sand, then she hates it. You can't ever judge what she's going to enjoy. It's like her sensory, her regulation is dependent on that day. And then what she'll engage in is dependent on how she's feeling. So some days she'll love messy play. Other days, it's an absolute no-go. So you just yeah. have to judge how she is that day or try something. And if obviously she doesn't want to do it, you know, you leave it. Um, but she does at times, she absolutely loves messy play and getting her hands in and dirty. And um, we set up quite a lot of sensory activities for mm -hmm. her when she's in those, in those places. Um, so, yeah, she's very sensory seeking, but then can shift to the complete opposite i remember i um gave her some play-doh once and you know one minute she's happily playing with this play-doh the next minute with hallie it's the eyebrows that drop and she goes like this and then it's just the, the you know it gets launched across the room and then she's you know in full-blown meltdown mm. um so yeah it's 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 very hit and miss with hallie i think she's definitely got like a combination type um of sensory processing disorder because some children can be one or, you know, mainly one or the other dip in and out, but Hallie can literally, she's like this all the time. So yeah, it could be hard work. Yeah. I, I think it can be like, I, I feel like I'm at a stage now with, with my boys where they're quite predictable and you know, that in itself can be sometimes challenging as in you want to, try and introduce new things or you want to try and, you know, do more. And, but the good thing is I, I can, their behaviors, I can quite predict. I can, I know, okay, they are going to like this or, you know, if I do this, they would definitely like it. Whereas that sort of extreme you've described, like she loves sand, she hates sand. Uh, you know, that that's quite difficult on a daily basis, isn't it? Cause you know, if you think you want to take her to the beach cause she loves sand and then, today she doesn't love sand <laughs> you're at the beach and you're stuck yeah um, yeah we've um booked a holiday <clears throat> and i just i just know she's not even going to go in the water at the, at the minute as it stands i don't even think she's going to go in the water yeah. but um you know we'll we'll cross that when it comes everything could change by then but um yeah because she was she used to absolutely love water and it was like again for sensory seeking it was one of her favorite things to do and yeah at the minute it's you know something's mm. obviously triggered um a, a, you know a trauma response from a sensory system and yeah. it's yeah we're, we're not going not going in so um yeah it's it, it is it's hard when Hallie's in that moment uh when she's having a hard time or you know she's having a meltdown what 
what generally works for you to help her calm down and 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 be more regulated is there anything that that's working at the moment so for Halle, it's either leave her or give her a hug and right so usually if because she'll she'll lay in the floor usually that's what she'll do she'll just lay you know arms up and it'll just be laying in the floor and she'll roll around on the floor and if I just kind of approach her, but not too close, like I don't want to get in her in her space too much. And I'll just say, do you need a hug? And that's normally something I just say to her, do you need a hug? And sometimes I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get kind of a bit of a nod or, you know, she'll put her arms towards me or I'll get some kind of communication, um, like, like um, you know, gesture, something that, you know, she probably won't speak to me but I can kind of get from her body language what she wants me to do. And then if she continues to spin or, you know, make noises, I know I just need to kind of step back and, and leave her for a minute. So I just tend to just make sure that she's in a safe place really and there's nothing that she can bump her head on um, and just let her have that moment really and then maybe try again. And usually she'll always let me give her a hug when she's ready but on her yeah. terms everything's on her terms um and when she's ready she'll let me have a hug and a hug for Halle is one of the most it really helps her like just a big hug you know hold her you know put like a, a you know little tiny bit of pressure on not too much so it's a nice squeeze and she absolutely loves that and she likes her arm to be stroked or her face to be stroked she loves things like that so um that tends to get her out, but it, it, it can be, sometimes it can be a long time before she'll let me do that. So I've just got to make sure she's safe, really. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? I I remember, you know, when the boys were sort of Hallie's age or a little bit older and, and struggling and naturally what you want to do is go give them a hug and, you know, make everything okay as, as a parent. You want to get in, get in there and you start to learn that sometimes yeah. actually giving them space, like you said, is the best thing even though you really want to comfort them and, and help them sometimes it is just all you can do is put them in a safe environment and give them some space and and give them time to to calm down and then yeah maybe when things are better then you can you know have a bit of pressure a bit of bit of comfort yeah, yeah. Yeah, that definitely works. That definitely works for Hallie. And she's got, you know, we've got all sorts at home. Like we've turned her bedroom into like a sensory room. Um, the bedroom that she won't sleep in. <laughs> Doesn't sleep in there. It's just a, it's now just a sensory room. But all the all my, my, my other kids use it as well. So, um, yeah. you know, it's just kind of turned into a sensory room now. But um, she's got access to that. Um, she's obviously iPads, you know, I think they are, you know, they're brilliant because yeah. they they just offer some like I think for Hallie like just a visual something visual just helps to calm her down. So you know it can be sometimes that I'll offer a, you know something different, um, and that sometimes that that might sometimes help as well because sometimes with Hallie what I'll find is if like high chair being it because she's still in a high chair because she can't quite sit stable. Um, but food is, is, is a huge trigger for Hallie. If I'm not getting things right and she can't tell me what she wants, um, then that can always trigger a really bad mood and a, a lot of screaming. 
So often what I'll do at that point is I just kind of take her out into a different room and sometimes we'll go and sit in her in her sensory room and just, you know, just come out of the situation completely and then go back to it, you know, when once she's regulated because once you're in that moment and things have got too much, you know, as a parent as well, I think it's 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 hard. It's hard not to get frustrated as well. Mm. Um, so that's often what we do is I kind of regulate with her and we'll just go, right, let's just go in the bedroom and then we'll come and get food in a minute. And and again, sometimes that works. Other times it's a categoric, no, that's not happening. She'll continue to scream. But, you know, on those days when it does work, it's 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 good. So Yeah. I think that and that's a really honest thing that you just said about it's hard for us not to get frustrated too because uh, you know we adore our kids we want them to be happy all parents get frustrated and when your child is struggling and angry or crying or upset and and you can't figure out what it is and it's you know it's happened they haven't eaten their food again there's all different things that, that go on throughout the day it's only natural that we get frustrated too and i think often as parents when our kids have additional needs whether they're autistic or something else we we feel like we're not allowed to feel like that you know it's because our kids are struggling so we can't feel that we're frustrated or angry or tired or you know and and that happens to us too definitely yeah it's a bit easier now that Hallie has a way like she can't always tell me what she wants but then she can sometimes too and we also have the some cards and things that she can use. So it mm. has got a lot easier. But, you know, there are days where she can't, she doesn't know the name of what she, she's obviously seen something or wants something, but she doesn't know the name of what it is that she's asking for. Mm. Um, and she will just be like pointing at cupboards. And I will be, you know, opening a cupboard. Would you like this? No. And then I'll be opening up this and I could be stood there for half an hour with 100, 200 different food items that I've presented to her and none of them. And I'm like, I don't know what she wants. I don't know yeah. what she wants. And I can feel myself starting to get like, I need to come out of this situation in a minute because mm. I can feel myself bubbling. Like, don't know what, to, I don't know what she wants. And that's what I'll often do. I'll go out the room like, don't know what she wants. Don't know what she wants. <laughs> and I do, I have to just laugh about it because if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah. But like I say, I, you know, I feel for, you know, I feel for people, you know, who have got children who are nonverbal because I can imagine this is a every, you know, it could be an everyday occurrence. Whereas obviously Hallie does have some ability to speak now, but I remember these days so well, um, and they do still happen. Yeah. And you also mentioned, uh, that Hallie's not sleeping in her bed. So I'm guessing sleep is a bit of an issue. Uh, does that mean she's sleeping? Kelly won't step foot in a bedroom. Right. Okay. And again, this is a new thing. Um, yeah, she will, she will, she will go in there for when it's a sensory room, like she'll go in there, no problem, but she won't sleep in there. She will not go to sleep in there at all. Um, it's a, has, it's a has she ever slept no. in there? You could, or... you know, yeah. 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 So from, again, from you know, being, well, I think I moved her out when she was one, which is probably quite late for you to move a baby out. Normally people do that way before, mm. but because I knew she was my last baby, I kind of just held on to her a bit longer. I thought no, she can stay with me a bit longer. Um, but then at one years old, or it might've been about a bit before, 
she went into her own room, no problem. And she was absolutely fine. And from about the age of one to two and a half, no issues with sleep whatsoever. No issues at all. It was brilliant. And at two and a half, um, that's when the issues began. She doesn't sleep. Um, late nights, wakes in the night. Um, doesn't like the bedroom. She's got some fear of being in that room on her own as well. Um, so yeah, she just has a, she's got like a bed on the floor because she doesn't like sleeping high up either. Hmm. Um, so particular. So yeah, she sleeps on a mattress on the floor in my bedroom. Um, and it's just easier that way because if I do move her, cause I have tried it where I thought, right, let her fall to sleep in my room and then I'll move her in, into her room and then that'll be fine. So when I've done that, what happens is she'll wake up screaming and because it's taken me, I don't know, say 30 seconds to get from my bed to her bedroom, in that time, she's wide awake. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if she's next to my bed, I can literally, I've got ears and I'm like, as soon as I hear a little movement, I like get the blanket, dummy or whatever it is just to comfort her before she's even woke up. So it just means that we get more sleep. Um, mm. And it, you know, it might not be that, it's the right way or the traditional way to do it, but it works for us and we get sleep. And that's the most important thing, I think, isn't it? Sleep. We need sleep. I 100% agree. I just did an interview with uh, some sleep consultants, Hun Rosa, sleep consultants. Lev, you have to watch that episode because there's lots of good advice on there. But we were talking oh, about co sleeping, yeah. and I used to sleep with Jude until he was about 10, 11. And they admit it's very common. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's often, uh, basically we all wake up in the night, but some of us go back to sleep a lot easier than others. And the reason, like you said, you're next to Hallie in that moment, you've got to her quickly enough to help her get back to sleep. And that was the same with Jude. I'd be next to him. If he woke up, I'd lay him back down again. If I was in the next room and waited for him to make a noise so that I woke up, he'd be wide awake and up for four hours. So it's like the only way we got through was, was to do that. And, but, you know, hopefully it doesn't last forever. It didn't last forever for us. So hopefully you'll, you'll get there soon. <laughs> hope. hope so. <laughs> it will be, it will be nice for her yeah. to, you know, get some proper sleep and, you mm. know, me not having late nights and it, she switches, she switches, she goes, when she started at the preschool, um, she went from being, uh, you know, one o'clock in the morning kind of girl to a falling to sleep at tea time and then mm. back up at one o'clock. Um, yeah. so it's switched as, as, as time's gone on, but she just clearly doesn't need a lot of sleep and that's mm. that. Yeah. And it is so hard and it's hard on us as parents to function and do everything that we need to do, whether that's, you know, work, looking after our kids, all those other things. But then it's, it's very hard for our kids as well. Cause they're not in the best state to, I know for Tommy and Jude, when they get the best amount of sleep, they are the best at school and they're the best, more regulated during the day. And then when they're having good days at school and they have good sleep, it sort of goes hand in hand with, you know, together it's it's a tricky thing to get right but but when you do it, it really does make a difference yeah yeah I, I think when Hallie goes into 
reception and she gets a better routine at school and hopefully more support that's what we're hoping for Mm. to get us some more support then that might mean that she's better because at the moment she is getting so exhausted from the school environment that then as soon as she gets home she drops to sleep because Mm. she's overstimulated and she's overwhelmed from that day so then she falls to sleep at a time that you know it's it's you know it's tea time or it's before tea time even and you then can't wake her up she's she's completely you know fast asleep so I'm hoping yeah we can get a better you know more support which means she's better regulated at school which means she's not coming home like that anymore which will then obviously have the knock-on effect at night time as well but um you know obviously time will tell with that one how we're going to get on with that so so talking about that support is quite a hot topic at the moment in our autism community online uh ehcps yeah. it's something that i for years have had loads of messages about you know how to get them the school won't give us one what happens when they're not you know meeting needs etc cetera, etc cetera. there's such a minefield um which hopefully we're going to start to change with with uh all the support we're getting online about it but i know you're at that early or you're at that stage of of hallie going into into school now and and applying for ehcps so do you want to just tell a little bit about your experience so far and and why it's so important to get that right yeah so my i think my experiences has been slightly different to a, a lot of other people's just because i have done a parent request for my ehcp so a lot of the time it can be that parents are, you know, when, when their child's in those nursery years, they are, you know, encouraged or, you know, it's recommended that you have an EHCP. And in Nottinghamshire, in my area, it runs on a system called graduated response, which is, is, there's a few areas that run like this, but there's not that many. And it basically means that you have to go through three tiers of support before an EHCP is recommended. The tiers are dictated and decided by the SENCO. So if you don't agree with this support that your SENCO's, you know, put in place, if you think actually there needs to be more, it's only the SENCO that's made that decision. So for me, as much as I have a really good relationship with Hallie SENCO and she's, you know, she's she's done her best for her, and it's it's technically the money that she's trying to get for Hallie that's causing the issue anyway. It's not that she doesn't want it. Um, but because obviously she's school are not providing that level of support for Hallie, I've had to no choice for me but to go for an EHCP because I feel that um the support's not right and she needs she needs more. I mean, that sounds ridiculous that Hallie would have an autism diagnosis as early as she has and have all the different professionals involved that you've had over the years and her not start school with any HCP it just doesn't make any sense that Mm. because you can have any HCP without an autism diagnosis you know you can have and that's a, a sort of common myth that that gets banded about is that oh you've not got a diagnosis yet when you get a diagnosis then maybe you'll get an EHCP but she's clearly you know it's it's very clear what her support needs are and and, and what she's going to need for her development and 
I think we we assume that it would just be put in place, but like you said, she's she's due to start school in September, right? And it's it's still not there. Yeah, because with again Nottinghamshire with an EHCP in Nottinghamshire doesn't come with any money, so we literally run completely different to the rest of the country. Mm. And from what I can gather is Nottinghamshire is an area that is, you know, in the good book because we don't spend as much money. Um, so that's obviously why this system is so tricky to navigate because yeah. you, it's like you have to go through stages before then you can go, I want an EHCP. So Hallie could be, what they said to me was Hallie could be in mainstream school and she'll have extra funding because we'll apply for it. So you don't need an EHCP, you don't need one. So I'm like, all right, okay then. So at first I just went with that and was like, yeah, okay then. And when she first started in September, she was getting quite a lot of extra support that was all in place for her. And then at Christmas, that support was then taken away because they had a new intake of children. They didn't have enough staff and then they couldn't provide that level of support. So that was when I was like, well, I, I don't want to go through this, you know, this graduated system. Mm. I know that she needs the support. So I'm going to just go for the HCP. But I think parents are made to, you know, follow this, this, this kind of pathway before it gets to there. So a lot, I know children in Nottinghamshire area that are kids that I would say have got higher needs than Halle with no EHCP. It's crazy. And, and for those of you, I, you know, so not everyone will, will know an, an EHCP that we're talking about is an educational health care plan. And basically it's a legal document that schools have to follow or which allows them to get funding, possibly not in Nottinghamshire because on a slightly different system, but to get funding to provide the support that your child needs. And it's a legal document that they then have to follow. And then the parent knows what is being put in place. The school knows what needs to be put in place. And you can refer back to that document throughout to like in your situation, the support was put in place and it's been taken away. Well, if you have an EHCP, what should happen is it's a legal document and you can say, well, it's been agreed here in black and white that this is what she gets. This is what she needs. So yeah, it's a, it's something that, that just isn't happening all around the country. And, and it's, we've been really fortunate that we've always had it. We, you know, we're in a great school We're you know, we were in that school before there were such a thing as EHCPs, but I, I know that it's just failing so many people at the moment. Yeah. And you know, obviously Hallie's EHCP hasn't been, it's hard for me to really make a comment on really the EHC process itself, because actually the process for the EHCP has been okay Yeah, because I, I did the parent request it got accepted, which was brilliant. And then we've had professionals go into school and we've had, um, you know, I've had to write some things up and that's been fair. Don't get me wrong. It's tiring and mentally draining, mm. but I've been able to do that. Um, but obviously I think next month is when they, it will go to panel and yeah. they will decide if to grant one or not. So I think, you know, that will be the interesting time really to find out, you know, are they going to reject it or they, are they going to, you know, are they going to allow it to go through? Um, I know for a lot of parents, again, I'll speak for Nottinghamshire because I know a lot about Nottinghamshire. 
so many of them are rejected um, mm. and parents have to appeal them and you know it's there's, there's so many parents that are having to do that yeah. um and then we have a lack of um we have a lack of educational psychologists as well so they're running quite far behind too so um yeah we definitely need yeah we definitely need some um changes i think in in our area yeah, it feels like everything at the moment for parents is automatically rejected and then it's just a way of, you know, cutting out people who aren't going to fight and who aren't going to keep pushing and and that seems to be, the you know, an automatic rejection and then a certain percentage will carry on fighting and then we'll deal with them when they do. And just, yeah, it's, yeah. hopefully we start to make a change. Um, let's talk about something more positive and... <laughs> talk about uh you and you know starting happy hands with hallie i think you said at the very beginning it was you was looking for community and, and that's why you started sharing so tell us a little bit about that how long have you been been sharing stories online now um so it's not been very long really in in it's i think it's been about a year and a half maybe mm -hmm. that i set a um set i set the instagram up first yeah. And that's been about a year and a half that I set that up. Um, my, yeah, I just, all I wanted to do was, was I knew that there was, I've been through so much with Hallie's diagnosis and a lot of the signs and things that we saw that when I was looking for support and for somebody to help, I could never really find a lot on, you know, on, on younger children. It was mm. quite hard to, to find that information. And I've found with professionals and, and, you know, going into these rooms with professionals, it's so good to know things and to have knowledge. So that's what I wanted to do is I wanted to, I just, even if it was one person, I just wanted to help someone else to, if they was in the same situation as me, to feel like they're not alone. And actually there's a, you know, there, there is something that is, you know, there is an explanation, I can't say that word, explanation. <laughs> for it um and yeah so and i wanted to i wanted to just find a community find support because i was in a really bad place of 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 just feeling alone and mm. yeah so i turned i turned to social media and um it's been amazing i don't know how i would be um what I'd be like without social media now and, and the community. I've got friends on there that I see all the time. So there's like Daniela on Rocco, um, Rocco the Hydro Warriors account. And then I've got amazing Avery Bay as well. And I see these two like all the time, like I would consider them like best friends now. And they were just um, from, you know, coming online, coming on Instagram and, and um, you know, chatting and things like that. And it's turned into a really nice friendship our kids get along really well um, and it's just lovely yeah it's so i mean social media gets a bad rap right from and there are there are some negative things on social media we all know that but it does so much good you know for me it's been exactly the same it it's given me a community it's given me almost like a purpose it's given me um friends that i never would have met people that I never would have got to know and and people who just get it, who understand, um, you know, understand what life's like, the ups and downs, the, and also have either been there before you and have advice or you're the one who can 
give your advice to, to someone else and, and help them. So it's, it, it's really good. And like I said, in the beginning that I, I can see, you know, what an amazing job you're doing on Instagram and, and all the, by, you know, the number of followers you've got, the, the way people react to all your videos. And I, f- I think you've done exactly that. You've given that very early stages and explaining it really well. And, and I think for people who, you know, have young children who are going through those stages, I think I get a lot of messages from people at that stage who are like, it's lovely to see down the line and see the positives and see the, you know, what, how happy the boys are. But if, you know, I never started at that age and had that sort of, um, document the the you know the diagnosis and all of those things so i think it's really good that, that people get to see that through through your you know your account and, and all the, the fun things that Halley gets up to for me as well i think that it's like an expression like as a parent and to be able to have somewhere that you can you know you've got people to speak to and you've got a way because i like i quite like poetry and things like that so mm-hmm. i do write i do write and it's and I like I like making videos as well like and so I absolutely love the creative element of making videos and putting my thoughts and feelings down and yeah I absolutely I absolutely love doing that and finding videos you know making videos sorry that um really you know show you know so, so we can have acceptance really and that's mm-hmm. what my you know something that I've always set out to do is to you know get children and adults um, more acceptance and more understanding because we have it tough sometimes. Like I can, you know, go out and, you know, the sort of looks that you get if your child's having a meltdown or if they're not cooperating and, you know, people don't, people, you know, make an assumption quite quickly and don't think more, you know, more into it. Yeah. So that's something I've always wanted do is is to make people see that actually there might be more you know to what we've been thinking so mm. yeah i i think it's so important i think it's it's definitely improving because of social media people are exposed to things that they wouldn't usually see so I, but yeah i mean obviously there's still a long way to go but i think we're we're slowly getting there you you said, uh, obviously this account gives you, you know, it sort of fulfills a bit of creativity for you. You do some poetry to tell us a little bit more about you, Nicola, before we wrap up. Um, so you're obviously you're a mum of three, so you're busy looking after three different girls. What, <laughs> what else is life like for you at home? Um, well, before I, obviously I've not long left my, um, employment, so at the minute I'm kind of just being a mom and enjoying being with the children and doing things that I wouldn't have been had time for before and I'm absolutely loving every moment of it just to be mm. present for my children has been it's such an important thing for me so my actual job is I work as a counsellor for children so I've worked with children and given my time to children for so many years and I just knew that I had to, you know, step back and give that time to my children that they needed yeah. that. So, um, yeah, so that's what I did. But I absolutely, my my main thing is helping other people. So 
when I was growing up, my mum had MS and she had that from when I was, oh, a, a baby. She was off her feet by the time I was a toddler. Oh, wow. So I looked after her growing up um, and with my brother and sister and my dad, we all, you know, we all looked after her and yeah. she was severely disabled. And so when I got older um, and, you know, was looking at, you know, what do I want to do? I knew instantly that I wanted to be in a job that was helping other people because that's all I've ever done is help people. So that's why I then went to train as a, as a, as a children's counsellor um, and absolutely love my job. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been hard leaving because I lo- absolutely loved all my kids and, you know, it's it's such a rewarding job. But I knew at the same time that I had to take that step back because my kids need me and yeah. I need to be present for them and, you know, able to, um, you know, meet their needs and be the mum that they need me to be. So at this moment, I'm just enjoying being a mum and all that comes with that for this moment. And then I might go back into some more things later on. But for now, it's, you know, just being at home. <laughs> well, it sounds like what you're doing on social media is, is filling that void a little bit of of being able to help people. Uh, you know, naturally, that's something you, you've always done, like you said, from, from a, a young child to, to your career. So it's great that you're able to do that with social media too. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there's many families you talk to and, and give advice to. So, so that's brilliant. Just before we wrap up, where should everyone find you? We've spoken a lot about your Instagram account, but are there any anywhere else they can find you? So I do have a Facebook page, which is the same as the Instagram. So it's just happy hands with underscore Hallie. Mm-hmm. And then I've also got TikTok and YouTube, which is the same name, happy hands with underscore Hallie. And my plan is is to start uploading a bit more onto YouTube and doing some sort of educational videos and content on, um, you know, some of those earlier signs, um, things that I've done to help Hallie with her speech. Because like I say, I, I, I learned a lot of that myself. I've read books. I read a lot of books and I felt like, you know what, I could walk into a speech therapist um, clinic and I could, give speech therapy because I was <laughs> I literally read that much on it um and the same with sensory as well mm. I've, I, again I'm one of those people that I'm not happy knowing just a little bit I've got to know everything so I have got a brain now that is completely full of you know knowledge and things on how I've supported Hallie and I'd love to have I think YouTube's really good for that because I can actually you know speak about it more yeah and um help people in that way so yeah definitely on the youtube there's not much on there at the moment but there you know I'm, that's my next plan really is to get mm. get going on there and doing a bit more on there yeah i think that's a really good idea i think it'd be a really good resource for 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 families and like you said youtube is a great place for that i will make sure all the links are in the show notes so if you want to follow uh nicola and 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 learn more about hallie and all the things that her and her family do then definitely make sure you give them a follow just before we go, final question. What's one thing that you'd like the world to know about autism? Probably that it's not always what you think. Um, those, you know, what we see on the TV and what we automatically assume when someone says the word autism, you know, it's to know that there may be a lot more to it. And, you know, 
it's not this, you know, textbook version of autism, you know, everybody's different and everyone's their own person. And yeah, it comes in, it comes in so many, you know, different variations, you know, and especially girls as well, you know, yeah. I've got obviously with, with Halle, you know, she doesn't have all those, you know, classical signs that you might see. So it's, yeah, for me, it's, it's, you know, there's definitely more to it. So don't always think um, that autism is a specific thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point. And it's, it reminds me of a quote, uh, you know, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism and it's because the spectrum is so wide and, you know, I see that with my boys, how different it can be. So yeah, really important reminder. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Nicola. It's been a pleasure getting to know you more, getting to learn more about Hallie and I'm sure everyone's going to love, uh, what we've spoken about today. So thank you. Quick one before you go. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, subscribe to the podcast, which will make sure you don't miss any future episodes, but will also help other people find the podcast too. In the show notes, you'll find links for the best places to find this week's guest and where you can connect with me. I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode, so tag me or DM me in all the usual places. Hope you enjoyed this week's story about autism.